0: So, yeah, I grew up in, uh, south, in south Jersey, uh, a town called Mount Laurel. Um, in terms of my interest in positive psychology, um, I would pinpoint maybe one experience that I had. So when I was in college, um, I, I lost some hearing in my ear. So that was for like a week or two, I was almost deaf in, in both ears. And I went through a lot, of, a lot of health problems in college from that standpoint. So even during that time period, um, I think there's always a temptation to feel sad or to feel sorry for yourself, feel pity, um, have a victim sort of mentality. But with me, like I've always been like, if I can't control something, I'm not going um, to put, put energy towards that. I'm not going to stress about something that I can't control. So like the positive psychology mindset during that time was, if it's out of my hands, I'm not going to try to focus on it. I'm really going to determine that I'm going to still sure, have an overcoming mentality for this.
1: Hey there, Recovery Nation producer John here. In this episode of Full Potential Now, Ted chats with positive psychology expert, podcast host and YouTuber, Brian Donato. Join us as Ted and Brian discuss positive psychology and how to persevere in tough times. Don't go anywhere.
2: What do we do when we face obstacles or things that seem insurmountable? Do we just pack it in and call it a day? Fall into hopelessness or despair? Or do we make a decision and decide to take some sort of action that might help us overcome the obstacle? Of course, we are never sure that that action will make a difference and maybe it even falls short. What separates out that person that gives up and stays in their situation, whether it be despair or anguish, from that certain person that decides to take some sort of action? I thought of this when I was interviewing Brian Donato. Like, what would he say to do? And what would positive psychology say to do? Then when he mentioned Viktor Frankl in the famous book, Man's Search for Meaning, I thought of a Holocaust survivor facing their own death day in and day out, yet still finding meaning to go on. What would
1: that take?
3: Your basic philosophy is that life has meaning under all conditions, but how easy is it when there's a sense of hopelessness, a sense of despair, to recognize this meaning? Let me present you, confront you with a somewhat uh, strange definition of despair. As I'm used to uh, proclaim is that despair uh, can be explained in terms of a mathematical equation. D, capital D, equals S minus M. What does it mean? Despair is suffering without meaning. As long as an individual cannot find, cannot see any meaning in his or her despair, he or she will certainly be prone to, in its suffering I wanted to say no meaning in the suffering he or, she or her will certainly be prone to despair and under certain conditions to suicide but at the moment they can see a meaning in their suffering they can mold it into an achievement into uh, they can mold their predicament into an accomplishment on the human level they can turn their tragedies into a personal triumph. But they must know for what? What should I do with it? But if people like so many segments of present-day society and population cannot find any meaning whatsoever in their lives, cannot see anything meaningful, they more often than not have uh, uh, to, uh, to uh, uh, something to live by. Uh, I'll say at least enough to live by. They cannot see anything to live for.
2: So what does it mean to stay positive or think positive? I've been in a lot of personal and professional situations as a counselor, dad and husband, where this can be really hard to do seeing the upside of things is just plain hard to see. I mean, we are sometimes covered by clouds of depression or have the gasoline of anxiousness running through our veins, and we just get swallowed up in it. But What exactly is thinking positive, And what might positive psychology have to offer on this human dilemma? I mean, what keeps people moving through life when it gets tough and throws us the curveballs? Do we stand straight up? with our arms at our sides, ready to fully embrace the challenge like a fully actualized human being? Do we summon the courage to take it on? Or do we do what I've done and probably a lot of other people? You sort of slink or cower away and just say, I'm not really up for this today. You see, the bottom line is sometimes we are just not up for the challenge. I hate to admit it as a human being, But sometimes I just don't have the courage to take it on in the moment. So when I was approached to do this podcast about Brian Donato and positive psychology, I was not only intrigued from the podcast host perspective, but also from a personal one. Could this guy, by talking to him, help me be more positive? He appeared to be into helping parents out with raising kids in a positive psychology kind of way. I mean, he had his own YouTube channel and he appeared to be in his 20s. I've always been intrigued with positive psychology and generally thought, probably like most people, it's the art of staying positive even when negative things happen.
0: My name is Brian Donato. Um, so, my partner Miriam and I, right now, like we live in, in uh, Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We have a one year old son. Um, so in terms of what got me into positive psychology, I've always been um, just interested in just self-developing myself. So I've always tried to stay true to myself and just like my self-reflection mindset, I've been writing daily or at least a few days a week um, since like seventh grade. So just my from, my, from a psychological standpoint for myself, I've always tried to build up my own mind. Um, and then in 2016 I started my own psychology blog so there's a lot of self-development concepts on there related to achieving your purpose in life staying true to yourself achieving your goals all of that sort of stuff so then I started um, positive psychology at Life University back in 2018 um, so I, I graduated from there June 2019 so I'm just all about positive psych in terms of it's, it's important to overcome adversity, but once you deal with the negative, then you have to determine what's the positive that you want to achieve, and how are you gonna to get to that point. So that's kind of my interest in positive psychology was just from that from that frame of mind, pretty much.
2: Yeah, so where did you grow up, and maybe you could tell our, our listeners a little bit about um, coming up, you know, like teenage years, where you grew up, and then any struggles you had, and what kind of led you down this path. Or maybe you haven't really been led down the path. I don't know. I I know for me, psychology, my dad was like a raging or an alcoholic. Um, I think that was a big influence, almost like on an unconscious level for me. And then what I discovered early on was my friends always came to me for advice. And I was this like great listener guy. And then I got a lot of, uh, I don't know, just satisfaction out of helping people. And that's kind of eventually what led me down the psychology path. So yeah. I'm always curious to see. Trace it back a little bit. How did you become? We're picking you up as the Great Brian now. Yeah. <laughs> but what goes yeah. into building the Great Brian?
0: Right. So yeah, I grew up in uh, South in South Jersey, uh, a town called Mount Laurel. Um, in terms of my interest in positive psychology, um, I would pinpoint maybe one experience that I had. So when I was in college, um, I lost I some hearing in my ear. So that was for like a week or two, I was almost deaf in, in both ears, And I went through a lot, of, a lot of health problems in college from that standpoint. So even during that time period, um, I think there's always a temptation to feel sad or to feel sorry for yourself, feel pity, um, have a victim sort of mentality. But with me, like I've always been like, if I can't control something, I'm not gonna um, put, put energy towards that. I'm not gonna stress about something that I can't control. So like the positive psychology mindset during that time was, if it's out of my hands, I'm not gonna try to focus on it. I'm really gonna determine that I'm gonna still have an overcoming mentality through this. Um, and I've just always had the mentality because I don't want anything to, to break me. Um, if it can't control me, then there's no point in putting any sort of mental focus on that. And a lot of positive psychology is about that. It's pretty much focused on your goals and like how to achieve your goals don't be so much into um looking at the adversity and just letting the adversity consume you but you really have to own um your struggles in life so that was one experience that um, it just kind of further instilled my mindset and just staying true to myself no matter any adversity that i come across or any challenge pretty much
2: i mean Like we've all had moments where we feel sorry for ourselves. It's called the poor me syndrome. When really a lot of bad shit comes down on us from all directions in our relationships, our lives, and we just play the victim. To be honest, I have a long relationship with sometimes playing the victim. It gets me out of having to take responsibility for myself and fearlessly and ferociously be able to point my finger at the other person. I think this is common for not just me, but maybe a lot of us. So do you think that during that time of adversity, so you're going through college, you, you go deaf for a couple of weeks. like you said you have some health issues. Is there anything? I mean, I don't know if you can remember it. I know I've gone down so many rabbit holes in my in my lifetime where you get caught up in like the pity party, the victimization party the why me party, but is there any experience you can think of or thought process you had back during that adverse time where you really went down a rabbit hole and then you've kind of figured out, hey, wait a second, this is not going the right way. I need to kind of let go of the stuff I can't control and really latch onto what I can control. So I'm always curious about, we'll dive into the positive side, but I'm always curious because a lot of the listeners will really identify when, when guests name certain things that don't necessarily get named, like, oh, I went down, I was having a big pity party for myself for like three weeks. I just interviewed a guy last week, and he, he kind of said he had a pity party for a month. <laughs> yeah. um, but I don't know if anything comes to mind for you during that time in college. As like the yeah. Format.
0: So, I mean, in terms of that specific time, um, it, it honestly happened so fast that I didn't really have time to react in, in a negative way. Um, I definitely have had moments in my life, in particular when I started college, um I had to 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 withdraw from two classes and um, I did pretty poorly like my whole uh, first semester of college. So like during that time period, um, I think it's really important to to be real with your feelings and what you're going through. So positive, positive psychology is not always thinking positively. It's more of the positive way to think. So a lot of times a positive way to think, is to not always think positive. So there is like a, a fake sort of, of positivity that I definitely tried to avoid when I was in college and I still try to avoid. So that means like you, maybe you're feeling something, you're feeling sadness, but you but you uh, put on a fake front or you try to suppress that to appear positive. But a big part of positive psychology is, is understanding there will be downfalls, there will be struggles. You will go through times when you're feeling sad And then from that standpoint, you just have to pretty much have the mindset of, I will overcome this. Even though maybe in the moment you can't really feel that empowered, but you always have to kind of hold on to that little framework of uh, hope pretty much. And and honestly, I can't pinpoint a time where I was like really down for like extended periods of time because I've really tried to, to correct myself even at an early age when I've had the temptation to feel sorry for myself. So I'm kind of just I guess I'm just built that way. Just, um, over the years, I've kind of just built my mindset, um, to kind of look at myself in the mirror be real with myself and then try to uplift myself from there.
2: Yeah. Oh man. The part I'm really latching on to what you just said in, cause I think it does give pos- positive psychology a bad rap is this idea of like people say, Oh, positive psychology, always think positive. No, it, And I think what you nailed on the head, and I think this allows people to really get it, I think, is this idea that you don't deny your feelings. You don't just, like, pretend they're not there and try to just think of something else. Think of, you know, some, you know, flying unicorns. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't even know if that fits. I try to bring my 1993 mentality into the 2000s with that comment. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, but, but that's so true. Um, and, and it's even sometimes people have positivity when when you have to improve on something. So sometimes if you don't look in the mirror and recognize maybe you're there's a weakness that you have or there's something you need to improve. And if you have a fake positivity towards that and you won't improve, you won't have the humble mentality that you need. So so there is definitely a couple forms of, of, of toxic uh, positivity that you want to avoid. Um so part of the positive psychology is trying is trying to decipher what like positive positivity is and what what negative positivity is.
4: Found out we had the COVID about thirteen days ago and pretty much it wiped both me and my husband out for at least thirteen days. During the middle of my COVID, I got a very bad back pain, ended up in the emergency room, had my heart x-rayed, had a, um, a CT scan, um, checking for blood clots, and severe back pain ever since. So now they're telling me that I have some kind of a degenerative arthritis and just getting up every day is a challenge, but you keep doing it and you keep wanting to do more, but sometimes it got to take that break. And that's what I did. And that's what we did for those days. And now it's time to bounce back, get out of the COVID and get back into life. to be talking about uh, a challenge I've had to overcome in my life. Um, Starting in 2018, uh, I was newly married uh, to my now ex-husband. Soon after we got married, uh, he started abusing me, Um, still trying to be a mother to my two children as well as work full-time and go to school uh, part-time at the time. Um, So as you can imagine, that uh, really put a strain on my mental health. Um, By uh, July of 2019, I ended up having a complete mental break. Uh, It actually happened while I was at work. Um, it didn't take long to diagnose me as having post-traumatic stress uh, disorder from the abuse that I suffered at the hands of my supposedly loving husband. Um, I spent the majority of 2019 in intensive outpatient therapy, uh, although I still managed to complete my master's program, which was a feat in and of itself. And uh, ended up in 2020 this year, um, in spite of all the trauma that I endured uh, in such a short term marriage. Uh, We're talking, you know, six months, and I was regularly afraid to even go home half the time uh, because I was afraid of what was waiting there for me. if I dared to have a disagreement uh, with my now ex-husband. Only in July of this year, I actually um, finalized my divorce from my abusive husband. Uh, I have a restraining order against him. The commissioner granted it actually for 10 years because she felt that I was in extreme imminent danger. should my now ex-husband ever come back around and and terrorize me and my life uh, at any point in the future. Um, In spite of everything that I had gone through um, the past two years, I received a promotion at work uh, back at the end of March of 2020, and I've just been just extremely thankful and just... The happiest I could possibly be, and it's all because I took that time out in 2019 to take care of my mental health. I feel like I am a living testament to um, just having those resources available to people and not shaming them or thinking that, you know, there's something inherently broken or wrong with that person just because... They've had a lot to deal with personally in their lives. And when it bleeds over into their professional life, uh, usually people don't end up the way that I do. So I just wanted to provide my story as, you know, a testament to the fact that, you know, there's some tough people out there. And if I'm able to overcome all the all the trauma and abuse that I suffered in such a short amount of time, uh, I believe anybody can.
5: I've struggled on and off my entire life with depression, but after my son Samuel was born, I had pretty severe almost debilitating postpartum depression and it was almost like I couldn't admit it to myself I felt like I wanted to be so strong that I didn't I guess the awareness that I was even as depressed as I was didn't come until I was over it or through it not over it I guess but until I was through it um, I didn't even have that awareness. I knew that I was suffering, but I didn't know, I guess, how bad it was until I had kind of the vision of hindsight. And it wasn't really as though I overcame anything. It was It was kind of a matter of time and a matter of several steps. I mean, sometimes people talk about, like, they you know they knew in this moment that they could overcome it or there was some significant thing that happened and in reality at least in my life a lot of times it seems like it's not one event it's a series of several things over time um, especially with depression so eventually um, I did a series of things I got back on medication I started putting myself out, opening myself up, I guess, to a few different new friendships because I had felt very isolated. Um, I started admitting, I guess, how much I hurt, at least to the people that were closest to me. And um eventually found some other things but that was that was later that was with time eventually started practicing yoga a little bit more mindfulness um, definitely helped a ton but again it was like it wasn't an event that happened in one particular time it was it was time and it was emotional growth and it was um, all kinds of things and it still comes back Um, I still struggle with depression, but I've developed these, you know, various different tools that even though the depression does get pretty bad sometimes, um, I have some things that I can rely on um, that help me get out of it or, you know, not spend quite as much time and live in that space for quite as long. So, um, kind of, you know, a few steps forward, few steps back. Kind of thing.
2: You see, the bottom line is sometimes we are just not up for the challenge. I hate to admit it as a human being, but sometimes I just don't have the courage to take it on in the moment. So when I was approached to do this podcast about Brian Donato and positive psychology, I was not only intrigued from the podcast host's perspective, but also from a personal one. Could this guy, by talking to him, help me be more positive? He appeared to be into helping parents out with raising kids in a positive psychology kind of way. I mean, he had his own YouTube channel and he appeared to be in his 20s. I've always been intrigued with positive psychology and generally thought, probably like most people, it's the art of staying positive even when negative things happen. Now, I do have to admit, I'm a self-confessed self-development junkie. I've read hundreds of self-development books, some of which are from positive psychology. I do know that a guy out of Pennsylvania by the name of Martin Selgman was one of the current founders. I even decided to do a little legwork and discovered that it actually traces way back to Wilhelm Wundt in 1874, and this was expanded upon in 1908 by the famous William James. When he posed the question of, Why do some people live fully engaged lives and others do not? I even decided to look up the definition of positive psychology and found a 2008 definition which states that positive psychology is the study of what makes life worth living. What does an average day in the life of Brian look like? So are you out in the field? I know you got a YouTube station. I spread a lot of good word. I I think you're talking a lot about parenting, too, as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so me and my partner, man, so like I said, we um, have a child named Ace, so he's about one years old. So the day really starts off with him. Um, Usually, the way that we work, usually I'm like the first one up, and I, you know, play with him. I I feed him in the morning. Um, Due to the coronavirus, it's a little bit of a different schedule for me, so I do... Work from home. Um, I work with former youth that are, well, youth that are out of the foster care system, so ages 18 to 22. So so I'm pretty much helping them to achieve their goals, kind of a coach um, sort of role there. So usually that's like the middle of the day, 10 to 4 or so, 10 to 5. Um, Then really just spend time with family from there. Like the YouTube content, I do that mostly at night. So when when the little one goes to sleep, like 9 or 10 o'clock, busy, that's my time to work on the videos and do all the content there and to write and to think of the ideas. So it's really a full day. I try to combine parenting, my nine to five job, and then the YouTube content, where I try to inspire parents out there and people to really think through the character traits that either they want to instill in their children or the character traits they want to instill in themselves. And we really talk about like, and we really go deep with it, how to define different character traits and how to instill that in yourself or your child. So so that's usually what a typical day um,
2: looks like for me. A long day, but pretty fruitful and eventful yeah. day, I'd have to say that much. Excellent. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, so you work with foster care kids, kind of getting out, it sounds like. And I actually yeah. worked, uh, Many Ted has had many different kinds of lives. Maybe I should have been a cat in some way. <laughs> Mm -hmm. But I actually, my very first job out of graduate school, I worked down in Illinois and had a caseload of 10 to 12 kids that were all in foster care. And Back in the day, back in the 90s, I'm really plugging the 90s here, the state of Illinois was light years ahead of everybody. They figured out that they had these parents that all the time struggled with mental health, drug addiction issues. Um, prostitution, sex traits, all that kind of stuff. They had to give their kids up. So they got into the foster care system. And one of the things they learned early on was if a kid bounces out of a placement, the more placements they bounce out of, the worse the outcome. It's almost as if they get this message of nobody loves me. Um, So that was my first job jumping out into the world of counseling. So I did in-home and worked on this like psychiatric Specialized in professional care, foster therapeutic team, which was unheard of at the time. And so what they figured out early on was we got to give these foster parents education and help to understand these kids complex mental health needs or substance use needs. And so what we discovered by doing that support, we maintained all our placements, they didn't bounce out because we could sort of like do family therapy with the foster family to maintain the placement. But what I always look back on, because I did the job for almost two years, and ironically enough, man, this is like 1995. That's like 25 years ago, and I still remember those 12 kids because I saw them like three times a week. I even wonder sometimes, I'm like, whatever happened to these kids? Like, how did they turn out? So, like, you know, your normal therapy client's, you might see once a week or three times a week for a period of time, but I saw these kids probably three days a week for two years straight. I would take them to the court hearings, do therapy with them, be part of the team. And so, what I, I just remember this one particular story. It was an African-American uh, family. The mom uh, was in Chicago and they had three uh, kids. And at the time, they were um, 10, eight, and six. And um, I worked with them for a couple of years and the foster family they were part of was so good. It was so healthy. It was so good for them. Um, and then the mom wanted the kids back and the kids were just like, I want to go live back with mom. And every time mom would say, I'm going to sort of like get my shit together to get you kids back. The kids would act out like crazy in the foster home because they thought they were going back home, never panned out. And then even when I was leaving, I asked the older kid, I said, well, who do you want to live with when you get out, when you're 18 years old? So this is my long-winded way of getting to where you're at, Brian. He said, you know, I love my foster parents. He said, but I want to live back in Chicago with my my mom and my relatives, who were predominantly all caught up in alcohol and drugs. So probably not the ideal scenario. So you're working with the 18 to 22-year-olds. You're sort of picking it up where I left off. So, yeah, I'm curious yeah. to say, like, what your experience is of that, what you've learned so far.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's definitely a lot of um, of challenges that, um, and that either former foster care youth experience at that age. I would say, like, I think every person at that age, too, um, you're really trying to find yourself. Um, even myself, and you know, from for the youth that I work with, there's so many there's so many people in your ear, I think like telling you what to do. Um, it could be like someone in your family or a friend um, or even us as workers. So it's really hard. I think at that age to distinguish like which positive people to copy and which are the, which are the negative influences you know, in your life and how to not let the negative influences dictate your thoughts and your actions. So it's really a lot. You have to figure out which direction you want to go. And some of my clients, um, so some are like trying to either go to college, some are still trying to complete their high school diploma. Some are looking for jobs. Some are dealing with some issues with their family that we have to sort through. So every situation is different and um, no client is 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 the same. I think the commonality is there's constant challenges. And I think that's what people and what I've learned about life is there will always be adversity. There will always be challenges. Um, and from that standpoint, it's how do we deal with the challenges in, in a positive way? Sometimes you have to
2: dance through the storm, so to speak. And I really I, and I really
0: learned to instill that mentality in my participants, too, because there, there's always going to be issues. It's like, how are we going to deal with the issues to achieve what you want to achieve, pretty much?
2: Well said, well said. I like. I, I actually love the fact that you talked about um, when you're between the ages of 12 and 20 or 12 and 22, it can be a difficult time in your life to kind of figure out your path. It's normal to not know your path. Yeah. And pay attention to kind of who you're surrounding yourself with as well. Yeah. What do you think um, – what do you see as the keys for people to change their mental health or if they have addiction issues is the way they could sort of like I, and I think of typically I'm thinking, I'm, I want to go down anxiety depression because that's always the most common. Yeah. And, and then we know with the whole COVID thing hitting anxiety depression is going through the roof. I'm getting calls all the time at my practice, people relapsing all over the place, having relationship issues, flare ups, Depression, anxiety. So, um, I want to get your perspective on that, Brian, and what you have found effective, not effective, and maybe some words of wisdom if you have them.
0: Sure. Yeah, there's three or four big things that I thought of. Um, So, one is um, sometimes there's a quote that I one time that I heard one time. It was, um, "You can't scoreboard watch and play the game at the same time." So. Sometimes when you're in the process to change for the better, sometimes if you get too caught up in like, I'm not getting better, I'm not making progress or that sort of thing, then you kind of lose sight of, of the actual, of the actual progress that you're making. So sometimes you don't want to be in your head so much on, am I improving? Am I not improving? Sometimes you just have to do the action each day and then just have trust and faith that in the long run, it's going to make you a better person. Um, so, And then a thing tied to that, too, is um, always look for opportunities of success and to find joy, too. Even if you, say, go back to a drug that you were using or you were um, doing the behavior that you're trying to avoid and you go back to that. Like, there's always opportunities, even through the struggle, to find happiness and to laugh, maybe. Um, I'm thinking of a quote from um, the book Man's Search for Meaning. Um Victor Frankl wrote this. He, uh, he survived through the, the Holocaust and the concentration camps. And he mentioned during that time period, he found joy even while he was in the camps. So he mentioned one time that like the prisoners had to move to a camp where there wasn't a gas chamber so they couldn't be killed right on the spot. And he actually said that the prisoners kind of laughed and joke about that for the whole night. And he mentioned like that mindset of finding laughter and joy, even during that time period, that's what helped him get through that time. So, so I would not lose sight of that. Like, don't feel like you're making light of the situation by finding something to laugh about or finding joy. So, um, yeah, so
3: that's a big part. And the third point too, is to self-reflect
0: and be by yourself. That's really important too. Um, I think sometimes even when you're going through adversity, Sometimes you lean on other people too much. I'm not saying don't lean on other people for support, but you have to empower yourself too and understand like you have the power within you to to change. I'm thinking of a quote by a philosopher named Blaise Pascal. He said, um, most of humanity's problems stem from man's inability to sit quietly in a room alone. So that stems from a lot of issues sometimes within yourself can be solved by just really self-reflecting, being, being honest with yourself, being direct with yourself. Um, and usually that helps you be in the frame of mind that is most real and authentic to you. Um, so that's kind of like any like perspective, I would say to anyone going through challenges. Um,
2: yeah. Yeah. Is that, it's interesting. Cause as you said, that last part about getting by yourself, like, I mean, obviously support is so crucial. We all need support. But then there's this other side of us that's like our own relationship with ourselves and that we all, I think what you're saying is like we all have that power within us. We have, we, we don't have to look very far away. We have to maybe sometimes look inward and within our own inner landscape, we could probably come up with some of the answers, but we have to begin to trust it You know, what I've discovered is people that haven't done a lot of that work, it's sort of like you writing every day. I write every day as well, too. But it's the practice of going back to the inside that makes you a that gives you better access. If you don't have a, a portal or a practice to go inward, I mean, a lot of times like right now, mindfulness meditation is big. I know journaling has a huge research behind it. Free writing, creative writing, or maybe somebody like for me, i I've discovered the last couple of months during COVID going out on long bike rides by myself. I usually always had my headphones on, you know, I was a triathlete. I'm always doing some kind of workout plan, sweating. And then the last probably two months I said, screw it, get rid of the headphones. I'm just going to go and actually try to enjoy biking again and the landscape around it. And man, I can't almost get enough of it. (laughs) It It's like, it's almost building momentum. And then I I find like, I start out with some thoughts and then they sort of morph during the ride. And I always seem to come back feeling more times than that way better. Yeah.
0: And and I think that that's a great perspective because I think maybe like when you were on those rides, Like when you're listening to music, sometimes you only hear the music. You don't hear your uh, thoughts in your head. Whereas if there's no music, it's just your thoughts. So you can be conscious of, say, the negative thoughts in your head, the positive thoughts in your head, the lazy voice in your head, the hard worker in your head. So you can be conscious of all of the voices in your head. And then you can try to kind of almost fight off the worst version of yourself in your head. So like that's a constant battle. So like as you were saying, even though it's great to get support from people, you can be around people seventy five percent of the day, but are you? You're not talking with them every minute of the day. So at least I would say eight percent of the day is just you, like the thoughts inside your head, and you have to you have to live with that when you go to when you go to sleep at night. That's just you. So you can have all the, all the support that you need, but when you go to sleep, that's just you. So if you're not content with your, with your own thoughts. That's probably something that someone has to address first. Um, and it's not that again feeling feeling sad. That's that's okay. It's more so don't avoid those thoughts. So whatever thoughts you're having, just be conscious of those. That's a really important thing.
2: Yeah, well said. Well said. Um, how can positive psychology impact parenting or coping patterns? Do you think? Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody's especially tied in parenting with this whole COVID thing. I think like just us, myself and my family going through having to homeschool our kids, our lives turned upside down. You kind of see the same people every single day. I love her. I love my wife. I love my kids. But sometimes I'm like, man, I just need some space. I need some new material. Yeah. I need some somebody else to converse with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, I,
0: and, and that's that's important, especially during this time period. Because, um, like, as you were saying too, with the bike rides that you do with physical activity, I would say that's really important. So, especially sometimes we're like quarantine, but just us as human beings you need uh, some sort of physical activity, even if it's just a, a walk to get some fresh air. So that's what I would encourage for people, physical activity. And then also I think human beings are naturally uh, creative people. Um, like I, I mentioned, I have a child, so he's, he's creative. Like he just goes around the room and he touches everything. So we were almost um, designed to be creative people. So I think coronavirus and just being quarantined, sometimes you lose that creativity. Um, human beings they weren't meant to be a boring uh, person so maintaining a creative outlet in some way i think that's a really powerful thing too and as you were saying like human connection human interaction maybe even outside your home um definitely try to maintain that so um so those like in terms of coping like those are the three basic ones um that i think every person should do make a consistent habit out a um Talking to people, creativity, and some sort of physical activity.
2: I love it. I love that. It's a three step approach. Brian lays it on us. <laughs> say it again. What's the first one? Step number one um, physical activity. Physical activity. Step number two um, have some sort of uh, creative outlet. Creative outlet. And step three is staying connected, right? Yeah, staying connected to
0: people. Um, and when I say connected, I don't just mean on the phone. So, I mean, like,
2: I saw face-to-face, so, So, yeah. Or mask-to-mask. Mask. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> sure, yeah. Um, is, are people, well, I are actually, I've been in the research, so we know anxiety and depression is kind of beginning to go through the rough for people. We see huge increases in that since about four months ago. The other thing we're seeing is increased alcohol use, not just necessarily related to people who are alcoholic and have addiction issues, but the general consumption of alcohol has gone up like by 55%. And I think my connection, I want to hear your perspective on it, um, is just that I think people are using it to cope as a mood alterer. It's that simple. I want to alter my mood. Man, this is like, this is getting hard to deal with. And I think... Everybody's been thrust unexpectedly into this constant state of uncertainty. So I almost think back to you talking about Viktor Frankl. Um, what's the, I always forget the name of the book, is it The Meaning of Life or what is it? What, what's it called? The uh, Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. If you have not read that book, definitely read it. It's in my top 10 for sure. Um, But talk about being in a Holocaust camp and having uncertainty for your life every single day and yet finding meaning in it. I mean, that is more dramatic. But in some ways, the dynamics of it, I think, really mimic what's going on today for people. There's this constant uncertainty what are the, are the kids going to be back at school? Am I going to get COVID? Are my parents going to get sick from it? Am I going to give it to somebody else? And so I think we've been yeah. pelted for four months of this. So I'm kind of wondering what your thoughts are on, um, how to pull through this or can we leverage maybe something from positive psychology or strengths to kind of pull us through or give us some, some ideas.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's, I think it's tied in with the Victor Frankl quote, um, he talks a lot about like his, his attitude during that time period. That was the last thing that he could control. So he couldn't control his, his body. You know, the prisoners could do things to him. He could control his mindset during that time period. Um, I think now in particular, there's so much fear out there. There's, um, every time we turn on the news, there's something that's a, that's a negative thing. So it's, very, it's, a, it's a deep challenge to try to digest the news in a positive way. Um, and really try to overcome that. And it kind of, the positive psychology mindset, um, it's all about empowerment. So a lot of times people ask themselves, how do I find meaning in life? What can I learn from life? You can also flip that. So what can life learn from you? What can, what can life, um, learn from you pretty much? So sometimes like life can teach you, you can teach life too. So I like, even with myself, anytime I come across a situation that is going to break me or I see a lot of people who develop a negative mentality, I'm almost like, let me try to inspire um, the other people around me to think in a different way. So instead of like life trying to teach me, I'm like trying to empower myself. Like I have a lot to offer. And by me overcoming this, I can make an amazing story. I'm open-minded to like every possible direction that, that I can go. Um, which is a which is a big challenge, but um, having that mindset, it, it's a very powerful thing. When when you really feel like you have control over your mindset, you might not have control over the coronavirus or another person, but taking control of your mind—that's um, really like the ultimate responsibility that us as human beings have.
2: That is that resonates so much. I think of it is really a go-to. Like in the end, you have your mind, everything else you could not be in control of, but you still have your mind in what you're gonna think. That's the one thing we all have control of, that we all have access to at least. I mean, some people say, I can't control my negative thoughts, but in the end, our thoughts, it's almost as if we're always like, we always have access to those no matter what. We might not know what's gonna happen. In the world outside of us, outside our bodies, outside of wherever. But ultimately, inside, we will always have our thoughts.
0: Yeah, and one thing I want to add to that, too, um, is like we, and an analogy that I like is we have control over our brain, but we don't have control over our heart. So that's like you want to separate your feelings from your mind. So, I don't want someone to watch this and feel like they can't feel sad or they can't mourn. So, like, you can feel sad and stuff, but like your mindset and your brain, that's, that's a different thing. Um, and this is also tied into, I know in, in Victor Frankl's book, he mentions, um, I forget who said it, but the idea was like, don't feel shame about feelings of sadness. Cause a lot of times, like, that shame from being unhappy just actually makes you more. Un, makes you more unhappy and more sad so it's a so so it's almost like positive psychology is kind of like a positive frame of mind on your sadness where it's like this is okay this is a part of what my what i'm experiencing right now and i think to anyone going through something that's a really important point don't feel like you just need to be have like a fake positivity when you're feeling sad it's more of like it's okay that i feel sad And I have faith that if I stay open minded to the possibilities in life, you know, down the road, if I just step by step do certain things, either with my mind or like from an action standpoint, then I can get to a better place. So that's really what positive psychology is is all about. It's like positive psychology in the mind, but not like only think positive and you're only going to have positive emotions. You have to to accept like all the emotions that you're experiencing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I almost think of. My parents, both my parents died a couple of years ago, and I've gone through a couple pretty, uh, very close deaths. A uh, best friend of mine died like five years previous to that. And I've been a grief counselor and been part of hospice, so I know the sort of phases or stages of grief. And I almost like attach, as you were speaking, Brian, I was thinking of like, I was thinking of, you know, feeling sad about losing somebody and then the positive psychology mindset would be it's okay to feel sadness and know that grief will will for sure pass with time as long as I stay open to it or I'm frustrated now but we know that frustration never lasts a lifetime like even even somebody That knows nothing really about feelings or thoughts would probably agree with me if I said, whether you're frustrated, sad, angry, upset, whatever. You've never met anybody who's remained in that feeling state for their entire lifetime. The feelings always run their course you yeah. have a general sense. They never last forever. They're always going to run their course, and they probably will run their course faster than you think they will. Or there'll be gaps to their course, or there'll be a break. You're not going to just because you're sad. That doesn't mean you're going to be sad twenty four seven. You might, but most likely, probably given what I've gone through and what I've learned from other people, you you generally aren't. Yeah, and
0: it's
2: like as long as you have breath in your body, then you can change. And and I think. I think I know you,
0: you mentioned some people dying that were close to you. I think even using death as even an empowerment for yourself is a powerful thing. So you can think of maybe people in your life or people this year that have died and think like they don't have life right now, but but like we do. So we have to, to be grateful for that. And it's kinda of like you honor life by overcoming the challenges that you face. Um, I really do um, believe in that statement. And that ties into like, don't feel like life owes you, you owe life pretty much. Um, it ties in with the with Muhammad Ali quote too. Um, service to others is the rent that we pay for room on this earth. So I think we we as people really have to embody that quote and that sort of mindset to owe life. Um, Cause we're alive right now. And as long as you have breath and you have
2: the power in you to change. So My dad, Melvin, he died when he was 56. So we're going back like, oh, it's probably like 22 years ago. Yeah. Um, died of pancreatic cancer. And, you know, we were with him the last two days. And uh, I just remembered probably about a week later And this. You can help me out if I distorted this, if I'm engaging it's in fine. negative talk.
0: <laughs> it's Well, <fine. laughs>
2: um, what I... But What I thought of when he died, so my dad was a good guy on some levels, but he wasn't such a good guy on a, a lot of other levels. Um, and I thought that his alcoholism caused him to waste years of his life. Mm. Now, he was a great artist. I think he could probably have been, if he would have an art school, I think he probably, probably could have been a great artist at some point and probably made a living at it. But yeah. it just, he never, he didn't have enough confidence in himself and not enough self esteem. And so he just kind of fell into the You know, into the bottle, into drinking, never fulfilled. I I thought like it really took advantage of his strengths. And so when he died, I felt so sad about it, heartbroken. I mean, it was just such a grueling experience, too. And I had a lot of mixed feelings, too. So I had feelings of anger, sadness, but you know, he he also gave me my sense of humor in so many ways. But um, I thought, I made this vow to myself about a week after he died, and I said, you know what? I don't want to waste any time with my life. I want to take yeah. full advantage of the days I'm on earth. And I swear from that point on, I've been really pursuing that. Like that was something that really helped me kind of realize like, man, I don't want to waste any days. Cause number one is I want to be like my dad doing that. But then the other thing was, I don't know how much time I have on earth. I'm yeah. to take advantage of each day as much as I can.
0: Yeah. And that's, that's a, that's a really powerful um, statement that you made. Um, that's the same with me, honestly, like my fear is when I'm older, say I'm, I'm about to die and I think like I didn't become who I was destined to, to become like I wasted time and I wasn't true to myself. So that's a really powerful um, motivating factor in my life too. And, and I know you were saying that might not be positive. I can say that 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 reflection is a form of positive psychology because a lot of times positivity is the truth. So your truth was your reflection on your father and the experiences that he had. And you didn't try to, to, to kind of, to suppress those thoughts or those feelings. So because that's the truth inside your head, then that's a positive psychology thing. So I think there's a big connection between the truth and positivity. And a a lot of times you can learn a lot from, the truth even if it's a negative thing because you can use it as you were saying to motivate you to kind of uplift you going forward so yeah I think death is a, is a great tool to, to motivate us in the present to not waste time to accomplish everything that we want to stay true to ourselves.
2: Yeah well said and I think of this research study that came out maybe about a year ago I think it was with the Gallup poll um, but they did a bunch of interviews of people in their 80s in nursing homes. And they asked them the question. I think it went to, I probably don't totally got it down, but they asked them this one particular question, which was um, what do they regret in their lives? Do they have regrets in their lives? Yeah. And pretty much like the summary of it was what they regretted was not, you would think like they regretted some things they did. Like, I wish I wouldn't have done that. I wish I wouldn't have, you know, done that. I wish I wouldn't have done that. But it turned out they regretted things that they wish they would have done. Yeah. They didn't take the chance at the time or they didn't take the risk. They didn't go on that trip that they really wanted to do, or they didn't go to school when they wanted to go to school. So it was really interesting that you thought what they regretted would be things they have already done, so it's clear, but it actually turned out the majority of it was things that they never did.
0: Yeah. And that's a really powerful thing. And um, I think I w- I encourage everyone to kind of put themselves in that person's shoe. So with me, I, I almost place myself like um, on, on my deathbed, so to speak. And I'm thinking like, what what could I possibly regret not doing? And that's a motivating factor for me, even me, um, as you were saying, and and I said, um, I've created some videos online and like on YouTube, I try to inspire parents out there and I have a lot of big plans. And the reason I started, because I realized like, if I don't do this right now at age 27, I'm I'm just going to think back on it. Like, why did I wait till I was 35 to like start posting content online? So I'm really at the stage where I'm using like, I'm putting myself in my 80 year old shoe. And I don't want to have the regrets down the road where I didn't do something. So, yeah, I think that that's a very powerful thing.
2: So you're actually almost using your vision of your deathbed when you're way older to actually inspire and motivate you now.
0: Yeah. And and I do that with several things, Like even not to my deathbed. But with with my child, Ace, I kind of envision him being like 20 years old or 12 years old. And then me, I wasn't intentional with my with the parenting um, with my parenting tactics and my strategies when he was younger. So that's something that I fear. So that's why I, all my videos are all about parenting perspectives, and they're, they're all positive too. I mean, we're, we talk about how to raise our child to have X Y Z um, character trait. So whether it's authenticity, being humble, being confident, being tough. So we talk about all of those things and. That's a big thing. I put myself in my shoes when I'm 45 and like, what would I regret not doing? And then whatever I would regret not doing, I make sure to do. So I think that's a really, a really good frame of mind and and I kind of use that tool for myself.
2: Yeah. So is there anything in particular, like could we dive deep a little bit into one of these character traits? Like let's say there's a listener out there that says, all right, I'm a parent I got two kids, or I'll, I'll just say full potential Ted has three kids, and I've definitely made a zillion and one mistakes. <laughs> I kind of question some of the things I've done as a parent. I wish I probably would have been there more for my daughters for sure, but now I got a 10-year-old Samuel going on, and I'm trying to be there for him, um, and so I'm kind of thinking like other parents that have kids, and they're like, oh, I want to raise a confident, everybody wants to raise a confident kid, right? We all want to raise like the perfect kid. He's like, he's confident, he's smart, he's friendly, he cares about other people. He wins the science fair. Come on. He's, <laughs> so how do we raise a confident kid? Are you have any tips?
0: Yeah, I think with, with the confidence video that we did, um, we, we did this video back in March, I believe. But um, a big thing with that is a lot of parents, they look at confidence, I think, in the wrong way. And when I say parents, I just mean just people in general too. So, so they look at confidence as something on, on the outside. But really, um, confidence is from the inside, and the inner confidence leads to the outer confidence. So if it's going to be long-lasting, it's got to be built from inner confidence. So even for myself, I've, I've always been confident on the inside, and I think over the past like five years, I've been more confident on the outside with my voice and trying to project that. Whereas, say, if I start off with like a fake sort of confidence on the outside, that is going to lose steam over time. So I think if you're thinking long-term, it's really developing that inner confidence. And a big part of that is staying true to yourself too. So I think being authentic is, is, is a confident thing. Um, and it, confidence ties into a lot of other character traits too, being open-minded. So you're confident that you're going to get through this adverse situation they're going through. So you got to be open-minded to getting to that point. Um, so, and it's built, too, from experiences, too. That was one thing that we mentioned in the video. Um, one thing we say is we're going to have Ace when he gets a little older, of course, once he starts to write. Um, he'll, like, write different things that he's accomplished during the week. So, like, every week on Sunday, he might write down, like, um, I got an XYZ grade on a project. Or I won the game, the, the sports game at school. Or I talked to my crush in class or something random like that. Like, any accomplishment... Even even if it's a physical thing, like I did something, or a mental thing, like I overcame my fear of talking in class. So I think when you write down like all of your achievements that you've done, that helps build the confidence in you because you realize it's not fake confidence; it's actually built from your experiences. So so there's a lot there with confidence, and um, you know if someone wants to look at it more, feel free to, to find me online and to then to see the the whole video. So.
2: Yeah, do you want to tell them where they could find you online, Brian?
0: Sure. So channel on Spotify.
1: YouTube,
0: yeah. So just just my name is is my channel. So my my, my full name. Um, and every video is called uh, "Raising an Ace," and then it's like eighteen tips to raise a tough child, or twenty two chips, twenty two tips to raise an open minded child. So if you type in uh, raising an ace on the search bar or my name, Brian Donato, then then the videos would
2: pop up. Okay. Um, Excellent. And I've watched some of these videos. You're spot on with so many things. So definitely check it out. We'll include some links um, also as well. So would you have any advice, like when we get into this whole addiction issue, somebody struggling with addiction, how they could maybe leverage... Mindset, positive psychology, so they don't fall into the throes of like a relapse or maybe drinking a little too much. Yeah.
0: So yeah, I think one one thing that I haven't mentioned too um, is really think more long term. So sometimes don't be so down on yourself when you have a bad day, or maybe you do you you know take a drug or you or you have a drink or that sort of thing. Um, so if you kind of go go down over a period of a week or two, um, then that's something that you might have to self-reflect a lot on. But sometimes if you just stay present and focus day by day, like do the positive actions, the positive mindsets that you know work, like that's a really powerful thing. And in terms of positive psychology, it's really, like I said before, just self-reflecting, like being by yourself, being conscious with your thoughts um, and really trying to understand yourself and your frame of mind So. And it's really getting to the core of maybe why you want to quit too. So sometimes people, they might identify a shallow reason on wanting to quit. Like say
3: their mom wants them to quit or they would lose their job if they, if they
0: still drink. But even that it's pretty shallow. I think you have to really think deep on from a mindset standpoint, like how is your mind going to change from quitting? Because I think all things in life, they really stem from your mind. So you don't really get the job because of your resume. You get it because of your mindset that led to the actions on your resume. So it's really from an inside out approach. Um, and that's with anything. I mean, if you're addicted to something, if you're on drugs, drinking alcohol, even us as parenting, we, we parent from an inside out approach. Sometimes you can focus too much on kind of like the outcome and the outside behaviors if you don't first the in the internal character traits and really focus on that then eventually it's going to come back and it's going to come back and it's going to come back.
2: Thank you. Um, what would a success story look like?
0: Mm. Yeah, so that's, that's a deep question. Um, I mean, for myself, it really ties into I want to be well-rounded in life. So I think greatness and success is not just one thing, meaning if I have a great job, and I'm a successful person on the outside. That's not success to me if i means mean to someone or that sort of thing. So I think for success for me is I'm um, open-minded. I'm kind to people. I'm a hard worker. I achieve a lot. I impact the world. So it's kind of pretty much every area of life. and trying to stay true to that, stay, stay true to myself. Um, I think a lot of success for me is really understanding we're all unique people. We're all authentic. And even for someone, you may not think it initially, like, I'm just one in, those, in 7 billion people. I'm not really that authentic. But if you really think deeply, your experiences are just your experiences. No one is truly you. And even for myself, all I have to do is name, like, three or four things in my life that no one on earth has that combination of things. So, like, I lost some hearing when I was in college. Um, I've written really, like, daily since sixth, seventh grade. Um, I started a blog in 2016 I have my master's degree in positive psychology um, I'm a, I'm a parent at age 27 and I'm really dedicated to parenting and, and I worked in schools for a years doing miracle service so as you can see, just 4 or 5 of those things I don't think a human being on earth has done all 7 of those things um, so that's why I really take pride in myself from that standpoint and I want to stay true to my journey because I know it's my unique story so like for the person watching this you have to define success on your terms. And I've learned over time, it's really staying true to myself, understanding the unique character um, traits that I have and the unique experiences that I have. So I think you really have to take pride in that. That's where success starts.
2: Oh, man, I love that. That, that part about even you um, bringing up the word story, Like, like what do you want your story to be? Mm-hmm. What kind of person do you want to be in your story? And even if maybe chapters two or three don't go so well, the amazing thing about life is, this is the amazing thing. We can never go back in time. We can't go back in time. We just passed a second. We can't go back there. And we can't really decide what's going to happen in the future. But what we can do is when we get up in the morning, it's almost like you could actually put the reset button every morning. You get up. It's up to you on what you're going to do that day. Are you going to keep going down the path you've gone down or what do you want different in your story? And then how can you sort of like, and I like what you said is, and not a lot of people could do that. Like you reeled off like six things that make you Brian and you were confident and you were quick in how you said it. Like it, it's definitely in you where I think like, I don't think a lot of us think that way. And by not reflecting on it, it's harder to access. But if, like you're saying, is if we spend some time reflecting each day on, well, what did we accomplish today? What are we all about? What kind of person do I want to be? Oh, I did this, this, and this. Maybe this is what I really want to shoot for. Um, I think it's more accessible. Yeah.
0: And that's like, even the things that I write at all, as I said, I'm just 27 now. So when you think about it, I mentioned like seventh grade, I started writing. So really, that's just like twelve or thirteen years of doing stuff, and I'm not just named six things. So I think I don't want someone to hear this and like think like, oh, they're like they're they're they're, they're like forty five, so they don't have enough time. Because again, I just did this in like twelve years. So even if you are say forty five and you really can't think of much, all you need is say ten years to do like five or six big things in your life. Um, you can do a lot in like a two or three year time period. So if you just combine that time period like five times, that's five big things in your life. And everyone has 10 years more in their life, at least you would hope so. Um, Of course, of course, like any day is not promised. But in terms of thinking long term, you can can do a lot in five to 10 years. Um, I think that's a really empowering sort of
2: mindset to have. Yeah. And look at the story of Colonel Sanders from Kentucky Fried Chicken. He started his business when he was 60. (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> if you're saying, hey, man, your life's over, don't even bother. Um, it can be done anytime. Man, I'm 52. I switched out, changed out a boat prop on a motorboat for the first time ever in my lifetime, like two weekends ago, standing in the water doing it. I would have never thought, not that I really wanted to do it, but I had to do it. But I would have mm. never thought I could do such a thing. And I think like that is, like I think what you're saying, and I really love it is, do we have an open mindset to make the best out of every situation, to grow as much as possible, be open as much as possible, and take on life and be our best selves and write our best story possible?
0: Yeah, and it's, it's, and it's, and it's a deep statement that even if you're going through a lot of adversity, that's just going to make your story better when you overcome it. So, um, so I'm thinking of a guy named uh, David. Goggins, um, he was a former Navy oh, SEAL. Yeah,
2: I love Goggins. Right? Oh, I, yeah,
0: yeah. I So yeah, David Goggins, he went through a lot. Um, he grew up in poverty. He dealt with racism. He was he was um, abused by his father. He said he was lazy. He was fat. He had a learning disability. But he said that like he used all of that bad experience, and he was open minded. It's so, like I can use all of this, and what an amazing story! If I can change my life at age twenty five. So that's how I looked at when I when I lost my hearing too. I'm like, I, in a way, I was like, I'm glad that this happened because it's gonna be a part of my story. Whereas if this didn't happen, then I would have to find some other thing <laughs> to like oh. to, to overcome. Yeah. Like I'm I'm always looking for things to overcome. So the fact that something happens to me, then I didn't have to go find it because because it, it was already there. So that's a way of of looking at adversity. So.
2: Yeah, D- David Goggins uh, living. I actually uh, met Jesse Itzler, who was part of. He wrote a book called oh, yeah. "Living with a Seal," who was David, David Goggins, <laughs> and I just remember reading that book and him telling me the story of. Uh, well, one time they, w- I mean, he just would make him do these dramatic things like. He would hang out with Jesse as he would go through his day, and then they, he'd be ready for a big business meeting, and Goggins would be like, drop down and give me 50 burpees. And he's like, I'm in a suit. I'm ready to go into a meeting. No, I can't give you 50 burpees. Give me 50 burpees now. <laughs> he'd be all sweaty going into the next meeting. And then uh, I think of this other one where they said he was going to stay in some place, and he wanted to use the exercise room. And somehow there was some story that they slept and then he stayed up all night riding an exercise bike like for 10 hours, listening to the Rocky theme music on repeat. (laughs) 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 That's hilarious. Um, but good stuff. Well, let's, uh, we got to bring it, wrap it down, bring it to an end. But, um, I want to do the speed round with you. I got five quick questions for you, but any uh, closing thoughts for our listeners out there? Maybe somebody struggling with a parenting issue, a mental health issue, an addiction issue? Anything yeah. you would tell that person right now? Yeah,
0: so I would always, um, so we talk a lot about overcoming adversity. Um, and as someone watching this can tell, there's a lot of power in adversity. So there's a couple of kinds for David Goggins and for myself and for, for you, for, for people like us, so to speak, sometimes we kind of like seek adversity because we know it's going to make us stronger. So like there's a lot of, of greatness and meaning and happiness through the suffering and through the adversity. So if you're going through a downtime, you really have to have faith. You know, this is going to become an amazing story. And like for parents too, um, since, since I'm a parent, Um, I think you need to look at negativity as like you can learn from this. And I would say don't just parent to prevent something bad from happening, but parent so something amazing can happen too. So this is like us as parents and us as people, we have the components for positive and negative. So don't think don't don't just dismiss the negative because you're almost subconsciously dismissing the positive too. So you want to be open to all of the areas that you can go. And I think some people they could be too closed minded, especially when you're going through adversity, to be like, this is the only thing that's out there. But you really have to open up your mind. And I think that's like a message that I hope, you know, someone that is
2: that is hearing this can really take the heart. Yeah, well said, well said. I'm inspired already. Yeah. All right, Brian, you ready to lay down the gauntlet. I'm going to give you the five questions. You got 30 seconds to answer. Okay. Are you ready, it, my brother?
0: Is that 30 seconds per question or total? 30
2: seconds per question.
0: Okay.
2: All right, and cool. Of course, I bend the rules a little bit if I want to say stuff. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Sounds good. All right. What, what is one of your biggest insights in the field of addiction, mental health treatment, or positive psychology? Yeah, I think it's just the stuff we mentioned before, the
0: adversity, um, the obstacles you're overcoming, all that stuff, don't shy away from that. Find the strength in that. Um, That's a key thing to achieve your greatness in life. Oh, excellent.
2: If you could have learned something earlier in your career, what would have that been?
0: Yeah, I would say... um, I would say share my thoughts more. I think, especially for young people, I'm not saying you don't learn from other people. You don't try to educate yourself, but I was too
3: much like trying to read books, trying to learn, trying to learn, trying to learn. I wasn't really sharing my thoughts and who I was as
0: a person. So I think you can teach simultaneously while you're learning. So I would have put up like the video content and the writing much earlier than I did.
4: Nice.
2: Thank you. What is your favorite food and why? Philly boy, yeah. <laughs> is it the Philly cheesesteak? No, nah, I mean I would say cheesesteak's better.
0: I would say um, like since I'm, I'm I'm Italian, so I would say pizza and, and pasta. Ah, yeah. Top, so.
2: What do you have on your pizza, man? Um, honestly, I can put some steak on the pizza. <laughs> really? <laughs> steak <All right>. pizza. <laughs> nice. Why uh, not? What is your favorite type of music or car, and why? So I've been in the hot rods late, lately, so look out.
0: Yeah. yeah, we're in the process of getting a new car, actually. I'm not too big into cars. Um, even music, I'll, I'll, put, I'll kind of say a different answer to this. I'll say my favorite music is the music inside of my head. <laughs> so it's kind of like what you were saying before on the, on the bicycle ride. Sometimes you can listen to music on the outside, but what music are you playing in your head? What, what are you telling yourself when there's no sounds around
2: you gotta do a your next YouTube video, you got that's gotta be the title, Playing the Music on yeah. the Inside. Inside your head. yeah. Yeah, I like that. All right, the final question funniest thing that ever happened to you or one of the funny things that have happened to you over the past year, because I don't think people laugh enough about stuff. So anything unusual, funny happen and Yeah.
0: Honestly I, I would say just being a father, um I think as a parent, you have to find opportunities for joy and to laugh. Um, Even me, I'm super serious when it comes to raising a child to be great. Even me, I find opportunities for joy and for laughter. I mean, I can't honestly think of anything off the top of my head. I mean, Ace runs around a lot. He falls every two minutes. (laughs) I mean, his food goes all over the place. So just constant day-to-day
2: just brings uh, laughter and joy for sure. Nice, nice. Well, hey, Brian, we want to thank you for coming on the podcast today. I think this has been a crash course in positive psychology. I I really like a lot of the things um, you talked about in terms of I think it's like practical stuff the average person could actually use in terms of their mindset, how they sit within themselves, how they reach out for support, how they might even become more open minded and more willing to view maybe adversity as the opportunity to build something from.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I wanna thank you for having me too. I think there's a lot of great points um, that we talk through. L- like you said, dealing with adversity, that's like the number one thing that I think people are trying to deal with. So finding courage through that and strengthen that, that's a very powerful thing.
2: All right, thank you. Awesome.
1: Hey there, Recovery Nation. Producer John here again. Thank you so much to Brian Donato for sharing his time with us. You can find Brian on YouTube and his podcast called Purposeful Parenting Period is available now. If you like today's episode, you can subscribe, leave a review, and listen to past episodes on iTunes, Google Podcasts, or Stitcher. And visit fullpotentialnow.org for your free TED tools, including where to find a rehab center near you. And a special thanks to the heartfelt stories of hope shared by Jill, Amy Lynn, and Teresa. This episode was produced by Ted Isidore and me, John Procruzzi. Thanks for listening.